Let me not go ahead and inundate him with questions right now. Let me go ahead and just ask him one or two first day coffee day questions. All right, we're out for drinks now. Let me ask him drink day questions. Now we're out for dinner. I'm gonna ask a couple more questions. Now we're going to, we're doing a weekend together. Let's ask all the questions. So be more patient with the process, even though both the man and the woman in that scenario feel like time is against them. This is episode number 528 with Glenn Sandifer, how to get great dating outcomes in a modern world. Hi, everybody. I'm Sandy Wiener. Welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date. And to support you, I wrote a book. It's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And it's filled with 30 tips and exercises on how to increase your self-confidence, increase your core confidence, and show up, stand up, and speak up in the world to have a better life and a better love life. You can find it on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. And every week I share a tip from the book. This week's tip is step number 29, which is listen to understand a little Stephen Covey um, gem, which is uh, we often listen just to be heard and just to have our voice be heard. But when we stop and listen to understand, everything changes. And so if you want to have closer relationships, a better dating life, try to really understand the other person, not just wait your turn <laughs> to be heard. And uh, before I bring Glenn on, I want to invite you to join my Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date. And we are a large group for women over 40 who are interested in self-growth on the path to their last first date. This is a group that is monitored every single day by my amazing moderators. And we don't allow the kind of just free, free falling, uh, complaining, bashing, nasty comments that end up on most groups. This is a really unique, special place. So if you want a safe space that's sane, come and join us at your last first date. And now for my guest, Glenn Sandifer. He has over 20 years of experience in sales and marketing, and he learned and through his work that success in the workplace is often at odds with our intimate relationships and that professionals can enjoy their work, but they often fail to build or maintain healthy personal connections. Boy, is that true. And that's what inspired him to write his book, The Middle Ground, How to Get Great Dating Outcomes in a Modern World. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Thank you, Sandy. So you entered the dating space. <laughs> what? Accidentally. Uh, yeah. Accidentally. Accidentally. So tell us like how this came about and, you know, you're doing this work, you're seeing all these issues in the workplace. Tell us a little bit about how you got there. Um, well, we can start there. What inspired me to write the book was the courtship of my wife. Um, as we kind of navigated dating during that season of her life, both professionally and mine, I found that some of the techniques that we thought were just understood were not actually being thought out and executed. Um, so I kind of went back to the drawing board and said, hey, what did I learn in previous relationships and what did I want my outcomes to be? Um, and I decided I can see that there are some challenges 
that we're all facing from a dating standpoint for those of us that have decided to go into a corporate professional work environment. Um, and spending the last 15 years leading people and developing programs and leading a profit for organizations, I found in my coaching, when people were successful, it came at a sacrifice to their personal relationship. Whether that was a dating relationship, a marital relationship, uh, it was irrespective of race, it was irrespective of gender, it was irrespective of socioeconomic income, but it was always kind of with that professional group or what I've heard as the professional class was struggling. And the struggle was very, very real for a lot of people. What are some of the things you've seen? Is it around boundaries? Is it around being able to balance the two? Like what, what are the key things that you've seen? I think the key thing is prioritization. Uh, we make time for the things that we believe is very important. And for those in the professional space, you often have to make sacrifices, whether you have your own business, whether you're climbing the corporate ladder, whether you're working in practice settings such as a law firm, an accounting firm, an architecture firm, or a doctor's office in the medical field, those require the majority of your time. And what that does is you take that from the sacrifice of your personal lives. How many of us know people who are 35 to 40, great people, we love them to death, we know that we can depend on them for anything, but they're chronically single. And part of the reason that they find that is what it takes to make a relationship work is at odds with what it takes to make their profession or career work. Yeah. I mean, I have people, women who come to me after they're like in their fifties and they're, they're like, I've never been able to manage the two. Like they, they've formed really big companies. They've been really successful. And I see a lot of different issues that come up and some of them are people date in the same way that they work. Like they can, mm -hmm bring that energy to working, to dating, like you're dating with like a mission and you have no, no romantic energy. It's just like a checklist and, you know, um, so I'm curious what you see in modern dating as, as some of the issues that are coming up. Yeah. And I'll take it from the male standpoint. And I believe that your audience will probably like that. If I am an attorney and I'm now 35 and I've made partner in order to get to equity partner, I'm going to have to spend the next 10 years building a business. I have no time for the relationship investment. So it's going to fall on my significant other to make all of the overtures to, for the relationship to develop. Because at that, at that level, the man is looking for cooperation. I need someone to come in. This is my program. This is my page. I need you to come in and support this, be a suitable helper for me. And that is at odds with what our society has communicated what dating should be. And so we'll take the flip of that. You're 35 years old, you're a woman, you're a partner at your law firm now, you wanna to get to equity partner. You have things that you have to consider that that man does it. Do you have children? If you do not have children, you may be dealing with uh, some concerns around when you're going to be able to have a child. Who are you gonna have a child with? to have a strong, healthy, loving relationship to bring that child into. So it's going to take time to do that. Do you want to have children at a much later age based on what science says, not me, uh, for uh, most women? And if that's the case, who's going to help take care of the kids? 
traditionally it's the woman that takes care of the kids. But if you're making $350,000 a year, billing 80 hours a week, somebody's gonna have to pick up the kids from daycare. Somebody's gonna have to take the kids to the doctor's appointment. And that changes the way that you date and it changes the pool of eligible men that you would, you would, have, you would have to pick from. From a man's standpoint, he doesn't deal with that. He just picks someone that will be able to meet all of those needs. Um, and fair or unfair is just kind of the reality of dating. So with that disparity, we enter the dating market and say, as a man, you're going to be on my page. This is how it's going to be. As a woman, you say, I'm successful. I'm a woman of value. I have a great career. I'm attractive. I'm fit. I have really good friends. People think I'm funny. Why can't I find a guy? And a lot of times that reality that we just spoke of is kind of the reason why. Because if you're making 350, are you going to date a guy making 50? Are you going to date a guy that's a truck driver? Are you going to date a guy that's in the profession I'm in where he's a service profession? Most, most would say yes, if he's willing and has more aspiration to look beyond what he does. Uh, but the reality is some people just like making $50,000 a year. And is that enough for that person in order to get the other outcomes that they're looking for? I think this is a big issue where people want it all. You can't both be everything. You're trying to raise a family together with somebody and both of you are not making time for family. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting. I was talking to my daughter who has three kids and her husband has a new job that's extremely time consuming. He's been traveling a lot and not available. So she said, well, I think he'd, he'd do really well if he just had a year where he didn't have to deal with his family at all. And he could just deal with work and really grow and get that position that he wants and blah, blah, blah. And I said, and what would happen to your family? Right. <laughs> you know? So marriage really, to me, is about balancing the two. It's about finding who, who takes on which roles. And somebody's got to be willing to compromise somewhere. You know, and I think that often what I see from the women who come to me is they want a man who's just as successful, if not more successful, mm -hmm. but then something's wrong with this picture because the men who really would be a great match would be the guy making $50,000 or who has more time and can take on the role if she's not available to take on that role. I mean, is that what mm -hmm. you're saying also? I mean, we're saying the same thing. So yeah. the other thing I'll add to your illustration with your daughter and her husband, he wouldn't do well in that mm -hmm. So when when a man graduates to husband and father and he's on his purpose, which it sounds like he is, he needs his family. His family is really going to be his earthly source of encouragement on a daily basis to go through this year grind. He can't be off for a full year. And if he was honest with himself and your daughter, he would he would say, no, I don't want to be off for a year. I just want to be able to work from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and a couple hours on the weekend, which with three kids, that's impossible. I have two and it's impossible <laughs> for me to spend any time looking at my computer or looking at a phone on the weekend outside of nap time. And by that time, I'm exhausted. I want to nap. So that's, the, that's kind of the first thing I want the, the audience to hear. The second thing is, if we took your desired outcome, and we said, happy, healthy, successful relationship for some that's marriage, for some it's not. But I should say, happy, healthy, successful marriage. If we took the numbers of what people were making off and we just threw it all in the pot, 
now that couple has $400,000 to work with, to build wealth, to pass along to another generation, to help those friends and family in need, to continue to support their local community. But we can't get out of the way of the construct of the gender role and because we're looking at, I want someone that is just as successful and more. And, and most of the women in that category have dated a man that's more successful or makes more and they've been miserable in the relationship. The outcome hasn't been there because that man is unavailable. And at that level of $350,000, that woman needs availability and attention. Something that changes as people get older, and that's basically my clientele, is that a lot of times the men have already created wealth. They are not ego-driven anymore. They are in a much more comfortable place. Maybe they're even retired. And so people are much more on an equal level, and it becomes a very different playing field. Have you looked at that also in your- I haven't, I haven't had the privilege of experiencing that, but I'm interested um, because I have mentors that are in that space and they're in that space, but they're all married to the woman that they grew their wealth with. But I, I would say that I've probably heard that they're a lot calmer instead 65 and multimillionaire. They're not, they're not concerned by the petty squabbles or the petty arguments. They're just like, eh, I don't have time for that. So they really have time and are available. My question is, if we're looking at someone who's looking at your audience and they want that guy, so she's 40 and he's 65, what does that man want from her? Mm -hmm. What have they, what has, what has your audience communicated or what has your clients communicated that this is what he wants? Yeah. I mean, I think at that stage in life, he wants somebody who's going to be available, <laughs> you know, just like she wants somebody who's available. He's mm -hmm. going to want to travel and to be flexible and have the time to do the things that he might've missed out on as he was growing his wealth and his family, his first family, his second family, how many families they have. But I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's the other thing that changes. So like, let's say it's, she's not 40, she's also maybe close to retirement and, um, or. What's retirement she, now? Because I did 60, 65, 60. I don't know. I'm 66 and I'm so far from retirement. <laughs> like totally. I think it's different for everybody. But I think that it's it's stage of life. I think that you need to find somebody who either is at your stage of life or is so happy with their their life. Like they've already, they already created a, an interesting life for themselves that they don't need you to constantly be there to travel and do other things, you know, and I've seen it on both sides. I've seen it with women who have a lifestyle that they've created that they don't want to change in a relationship. And so they might consider traveling by themselves or having, you know, friends and doing things with them and also having time with somebody else. Relationships look very different today. You know, you can live apart and have a full-time partner. You can have, it can look, it can look in whatever way you design basically. But mm -hmm. I think that things do change. Hormones change. We change. I think people become much more equal as they get older, but you're talking about like the team members, the people in your workforce where you did a lot of this observation, right? Yeah. Most of the people from the observation standpoint were between 23 to 50. So okay. still very high octane, 
in their career early on, trying to figure it out, post-career, trying to figure out how I date now as a single dad or as a single mom. So those are the, the kind of the clients, I would say, if we use that word, or that I've coached um, about their relation, their desired relationship. What are the challenges that you've seen in particular with this age group and the people that you've observed? Post 30, there's, it, I, I believe there's a decision curve. And I, I talk about this in the middle ground, it's in part two. But there's a decision curve that happens from like 30 to 35. Have to decide at this season if during during this time period, if I want the relationship outcome, or if I want the relationship outcome and the career success, or if I just want the career success. The easiest that I believe this group sees is the career success, because at that stage it's like you know what I understand one plus one equals two. I understand what my input is. I know what my output will be. I don't need a woman. I don't need a man. I'll just find somebody to have fun. If the decision curve then is, hey, I want both. If you want both, you're going to have to decide what you're going to sacrifice. And for the relationship, it's going to be your list. Because at that age, 30 to 35, men and women both have lists. And then, or you're going to have to sacrifice something professional. So for the example of the attorney, the attorney that is an income partner um, will have to stay an income partner because you're going to have to spend the next couple of years developing a relationship, building out your family. And then at a certain season, you can move to the equity stage. It's all temporary for a long-term outcome, whichever decision you make. On the list, it may not be six, 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 six foot, six figure, six pack. You may be have a six pack, have six figures, but you know, he's bald. Or you're going to have to check, okay, maybe he's not from the side of town that I'm on. Maybe I'm going to have to travel to meet him. Okay, maybe I'm going to have to get on a plane to meet him. Oh, man, maybe I'm going to have to get on a, you know, go to a couple of events or learn a new, you know, a new hobby to, in order to spend time with her. And you have to adjust that list. So when those two decision curves, or the other one is, let me go ahead and get serious for the decision. The other part of the decision curves, let me get serious about the relationship piece. Work will be fine. I just have a job. Don't really look at it as a career. Then you put your eggs into the basket of identifying what you want, identifying what that person that you want wants, and then identifying how you can give it to them. This is what I talk about in the middle. That sounds like reasonable. People have to be willing to compromise something. It's, um, yes, it's reasonable until the compromise happens. Right. And, and if you look at it, I'm compromising with a stranger. I don't know this person. So why am I going to compromise, especially in this group of 30 to 35? You've had a lot of, you may have had a lot of dates, especially as a woman. I, you, you, at that age group, when you go on a date with that guy, you give him the, the, the questionnaire. You have your interview questions lined up and ready to go because you don't have time to waste because you're looking at an outcome. And as the guy... He's, you're trying to kind of protect your time. All right, let me see who she is. Let me see what she's about. Let me see how much time I'm going to invest. Do I need to overinvest? You know what? I'm going to pull back from that. And the, that, that's when the compromise comes in. But what I talk about in the book is approaching that, that situation or, or point of tension in good faith. So if you come in with, all right, I don't want to waste her time. Let me go ahead and answer her question. She's going to then say, you know, in good faith, all right, 
Let me not go ahead and inundate him with questions right now. Let me go ahead and just ask him one or two first date, coffee date questions. All right, we're out for drinks now. Let me ask him drink date questions. Now we're out for dinner. I'm gonna ask a couple more questions. Now we're going to, we're doing a weekend together. Let's ask all the questions. So be more patient with the process, even though both the man and the woman in that scenario feel like time is against them. I like the uh, ask the drink questions, ask the dinner questions, ask the weekend questions. You got to pace yourself. And most people are like, hey, I got 45 minutes with you. I'm going to find out everything I need to know. And that's it. No more. You know, I've made up my mind in the first five minutes. I would be interested to know probably in the comments later is your audience, are they dealing with the text date? That's what I've been hearing. So now you get all the questions out before I go out and do anything with you. So now I'm getting intrusive questions from a person I don't know on text message. Well, wait, wait, can we, let's, hold on, let's, let's go out and meet each other. But I know things have changed now. Well, so people stay on text too long and they don't meet. They, I mean, it's, it's, you have to take charge of that. And as a dating coach, I tell my clients to make the first move, say, Hey, you know, I don't enjoy getting to know people by text. Let's get on a call and see if we connect or let's, let's meet up for drinks, you know, just get off text. That's not, it's not a way to get to know somebody and there's no context. There's no emotion. And unfortunately, most of people today hide behind texts and just don't don't like get to that next level but you've got to give people green lights and say hey this is this is where I'm going are you going there too and the people who are serious are going to want to meet and the people who aren't are going to fall off let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors this episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices, your smartphone, your tablet, your PC or Mac, Fire TV, and any Alexa-enabled devices like the Amazon Echo. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. I keep saying if women want better outcomes, start demanding that. I'm not texting. I'm not texting you. If you want to speak to me, talk with me on the phone. Now, she has to have, be able to have conversational skills on the phone, but I'm not texting. I, don't, I, only text, I only text once we get to know each other. I would like to, get, I would like to have a conversation with her. If that happened, all the men out here would start, oh man, you know, I can't text anymore. I remember when texting took the place of phone calls. I remember, I was just like, what? You, you don't even talk to her? No, I don't have to talk to her. We're te- we've been texting for three weeks. For three weeks? And you haven't had a conversation? Yeah. <laughs> just text, man, you're missing out. No, I'm, I'm good. I like, I like having a conversation. <laughs> Anytime my kids say, I, I talked to a friend last night. I go, did you talk to them with your fingers or with your mouth? <laughs> did you really talk with them? Right. It's always, it's just, they we chatted by text. Well, now yeah. it's, it's the, it, it, I think, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, it goes text, FaceTime, video chat, then meet. 
I want to, you know, you talk and then the chemistry feels good. All right, let me see what you look like. See if you really like your picture. I think that's what they're doing. And then boom, they like, okay, you don't look the way I thought you looked. I'm done. And then it's, it's just like, oh man, it's so <laughs> harsh way to treat people. Yeah. So the FaceTime, I have mixed feelings about it. I, during COVID, during COVID, we didn't have the opportunity to meet people. Mm-hmm. And it was a great alternative. At least you got to feel some chemistry by yeah. seeing somebody. But today, I think, especially if you live close by, just go on a freaking date. Like, just meet up for a short meetup. That's it. Like, just see what the energy is in person. I think you cannot have a substitute for that. And the first meeting is also not going to give you everything you need to know. You're yeah. going to you're going to get some energy, you're going to feel some attraction or lack of attraction, but that that grows with time if there's a real connection. A person can show up better than they are in person on the first date and they can show up much worse than they are. People can be nervous. They can be talking about themselves nonstop. You just don't know what you're getting. And I think people judge so quickly and we have to be able to be patient, to give people time, to know what we're looking for. You know, some of what you're talking about is we have to be clear what's on that list. Is it a ridiculous list? Is it a list that, you know, bald head of hair, that's the list you want to throw out. Um, Education level is much less important than how somebody shows their intelligence. I don't care if they have a PhD, if they're a total idiot in person, they could have 10 degrees and it would mean nothing to me. Mm-hmm. So it's you've got to be clear about what it is that's your bottom line that you absolutely must have. And most people get it wrong. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, so you coach your clients yeah, like you're, are you a relationship coach? Like you're in sales and marketing. I'm <laughs> in a corporate role, but for, it, it, I kind of call it the whole man or total man. It's how I coach my direct reports or my managers or people within my organization because they need to be the best version of themselves everywhere or they're not going to show up at work. When someone doesn't show up and they're not hitting their, we call them key performance indicators or KPIs. But when they're not hitting their KPIs, I start to think, okay, what's going on with Josh? It's not a real name, but what's going on with Josh? I don't know what's going on with Josh. Have you talked to him? No. He hasn't hit his target in three weeks in a row. Have you spent some time with him? No. Okay, you need to get in there, dig in. There are the opening questions that you need to ask and figure out what's going on. Through that process, what I found is that we often uncover a lot of layers. And this is pre- when you know I started working when there was no such thing as mental health. So now you can start uncovering when people are dealing with some mental health challenges, when they're dealing with challenges at home, uh, within the relationship, when they're dealing with challenges with a child or a family member, when they may be having some health challenges physically. So those things all weigh into how they perform at work. And then that's when you lead with empathy. So what I found around leading with empathy with all of that, the one piece that was really lingering was always relationship. And so then I just started, hey, let me, you know, let me let me talk to you about this kind of offline, kind of the let's grab a beer, but it was more from a professional standpoint than a personal standpoint because it, it was very important to me and is still very important to me to help mentor and develop a lot of people and future leaders within organizations. So that's how it started. And then they started referring people to me. And, you know, then, I, you know, there was no such thing as a, 
you know, life coach or relationship coach or dating coach. I think there was, they were out there, but I just looked at it as helping people. And as they, as it kind of grew, I started creating articles on what I was uncovering for people. So that was the first iteration of my book. It was a bunch of articles on an iMac computer that I put out on a, you know, $5 website and shared it with friends and told them to go take a look at it. Then social came out and I put them out on social and you know, they didn't really have any traction because there was really no interest on that scale. There wasn't this kind of cottage industry uh, through social and through online video searches. Um, and then what I found uh, as I was courting my wife that some of those same techniques showed up and I was still operating under that as was she. So we weren't getting the outcome we wanted and we had to take a step back and get back to the middle ground. So as we got to the middle ground, we started to uncover the things that we talk about in the book are the, tech, are the, are the uh, tactics that we need to deploy in order to be successful in our relationship. Now, our marriage is not perfect. I don't claim for it to be, um, but I do know that we are prospering in every area. And we continue to grow from a communication standpoint. And my love for her is much stronger than it was when we met the first day we met or the first day that I even told her that I loved her because we have started to build that life together, set those goals and be successful. And if you want to get to that, you have to do the work on the front end. And what I believe you're talking about and what I say in the book, people are not willing to do the work or if they're willing to do the work, they need to understand why they are the way they are, how we got here from a dating standpoint. And then once you understand how we got here, you then know what we can do based on we know who you are, who he is or she is, and then what that person, that version of a man or a woman qualifies for. And then from that qualification, we go on to the next book, which is, you know, staying in the middle ground. Interesting. So, it's funny that you mentioned that it came from work into dating and relationships because it's all connected and how people are is holistic. It's not just one aspect of a person shows up anywhere in life. And that's actually how I coach as well. I started from a dating coaching perspective, but I am a life coach, certified life coach. And so when somebody tells me that their assistant just quit, we stop the dating and we focus on how are you going to hire a new assistant? Because actually how you look for a date is very similar to how you vet that assistant. Yeah. And, um, and so we come up with questions to ask and we come up with a way to give an assignment to this person. And then how do you communicate? Because how you communicate with that person is going to show up in your communication with your dating and relationships. And so, but if you have that piece out of whack, then you're like going with a bumpy wheel and you can't focus on anything else until some of the big rock things are taken care of. So I often will pivot in my coaching to deal with whatever big thing is happening in their lives. So I totally get it. And I think it's great that you coach in this holistic way with the people that, that work with you. Um, tell, tell us a little bit more about the middle ground and what it is. Uh, the middle ground is really an introspection into dating in the modern world. Um, I believe we got here through a number of actions uh, within, and I, and I say we, and I mean North America. So there, it applies everywhere, but let's just talk about North America. 
through a series of actions, uh, which I talk about in chapter. And those series of actions, we moved away from the traditional relationship where the man was the provider protector and the woman was the suitable helper and the, you know, the caregiver and the nurturer for the family to where now there was more choice and options. With that choice and with those options, it changed the overall outcomes uh, within the relationship uh, dynamic because with choice and options comes that, choice and options. And so talking about the middle ground and what, how we got here was very important to me because I wanted to do the study on how I got to the point that I, that I ended up in. And then I wanted to do further uh, introspection on the types of men and the types of women that I have seen through my personal life, through coaching, through career, and through relationships. So in both areas, there are about six men and six women. Uh, of those six men and of those six women, uh, they're available in chapter two, chapter three, and then part two will come out with the additional chapters. Uh, but for the men, you have boys, you have F boys, you have guys, you have males, you have men, and then you have high value men. Most women say that they want a high value man. Most women do not qualify for a high value man. And when they have that man, they don't want to be bothered with that man. So let's take the high value man. And in most instances and in circles, they say a high value man is just a man that makes a lot of money. I disagree. A high value man, I outline in the book. We won't go over it because it'll bore everyone. But uh, for the high value man, take them off the table. So let's deal with what I believe most women have had to deal with. Most women have had to deal with the F boys, had to deal with males, and then they've had to deal with men. So we all, F boy, I mean, pardon my, my language, I cut it out, but that is the charismatic, fun, handsome, discretionary income carrying guy who has some availability initially in your meeting. And this one may be provide the best intimacy with you, physical touch, physical attraction is there. But from an emotional support standpoint or a consistency standpoint, this guy isn't there. This is the serial cheater, the serial liar, the serial gaslighter. This is what most women are finding themselves deal with because what I talk about in the book as a girl, that is what they were attracted to, the charisma. So then they get this guy and then they, after they get out of this season of dealing with the F boy, they move over to the male. So the male is typically competent and capable in most areas of his life, his profession, uh, physical fitness, yes or no, um, has great uh, relationships, but this male is typically a man by design, but emotionally he is very weak. And so he doesn't have the emotional fortitude to lead. So we have a lot of these males that women are dating and after F boys and males, when they get to a man, they ascribe the characteristics of the F boy and the male on a man. And the man is not an F boy. He's not a male. He's a man. He leads, he provides, he protects, he encourages, he corrects. And anything that is in that vein comes off as the toxic traits 
of those two groups. So when I say he's very direct and he's very clear and concise, I feel like he's cutting me off. He's being rude and he's being toxic. No, he's not. He's like, no, I don't want to eat. I don't want to go eat at Chili's. I would like to eat in tonight. Can we cook? No, I don't want to cook. I'm tired. I've had a long day with all this. And then you want me to do all this and say, so that is, that is kind of where I think a lot of this happens. When I talk about on the woman's side for it, observation. So we have city girls, we have gals, we have females, we have women, and then we have high value women and in, entering it, not at the bottom, most people try to say the bottom, but entering it, you have girls. And the definition and characteristics of each are similar to that in, def in definition and design of the man because they're similar counterparts. So I say that most men find themselves city girls. They find themselves with gals. And then they find themselves with modern women. Not just women. Women is broken up into three groups, modern women. And so for a city girl, she's fun, she's outgoing, she vacations every quarter, she's on South Beach, Florida, having a good time, spends her money, makes her money, boastful, she lets you know she's out there. And that's fine because what I talk about in chapter one allows you as a person to make those decisions. So she's out there, but she moves very different. She moves very free and fluid. And if you can't get on her page and on her level, you're gonna get ran over. A lot of men have been run over, like women, by F boys, city girls. Then you have gals. Um, a lot of your audience may know or feel like, hey, after he I read this and he defined it, maybe he treated me like I was a gal. A gal is just a gal. She's at the gym. She's at the grocery store. She's at the pharmacist. You see her at the movie. You say hi. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with this group, but this group is just normal. The word is basic. And that basic group often gets overlooked for the city girl and the modern woman. City girl, fun, adventurous, having a good time. And then the modern woman, career-oriented, driven, strong, independent, uh, nice house, nice clothes. Everything is adorned very well. And that is very appealing to a man until he gets in, wants tradition, and he can't get it. She's not going to give it to you because she's modern. She wants what she wants. And most modern women, through no fault of their own, and it's not, it's not wrong, you want partnership, 50-50. I want you to do, I want us to both bring 50% to the table to this 100% relationship. And I just believe and I ascribe that I have found in my time the women who find themselves with leaders and they can rest in their femininity and rest in their role as a suitable helper they find more long-term happiness and success. Doesn't mean that modern women do not. Doesn't mean that women who decide to choose singleness do not. I just have said out, out of my sample size, that is what I believe is happening. Interesting. I think that basically the bottom line is that people have to figure out what they want and need and who they are, find, find themselves first, and be realistic about their goals is some of the stuff I'm hearing from you. And to also negotiate 
with a partner. You've got to talk about all these things. It can't be assumed that anybody's going to do anything, right? No. I think that that especially as as people get older, they they're fairly established. They are fairly set in their ways and they want it all. Like we want to have this person who doesn't exist to come into their lives. I mean, we've all been brainwashed by romance novels and movies and, and all these ideals about romance that aren't really about relationships. They're about falling and saving and all these things that are really unhealthy so yeah, I think the modern dating world is uh, we're screwed. Um, <laughs> oh, the modern dating world no. is not screwed. You just <laughs> navigate it. I mean, every it's a season, and it, if you're married, you have seasons in your marriage, and that that season can be one of prosperity, one of lack. It can be one of where I'm in at this season is childcare. That is the number one priority because I have two children at the stage that are under three. So my time is compacted for everything that I have to accomplish in order to be available. I understand that because one, I love the kids, I love my wife, but also it's a season. So from a dating standpoint, where you are is not where you're going to end up. It's up to you to make the investment so you can get the outcome you're looking for. If you want a relationship that's healthy, that has individuals identifying and meeting needs. I say go read William F. Hartley's book, His Needs, Her Needs, or read Gary Chapman's uh, book, The Five Love Languages. Start there and start operating out of that for the next 90 days, and then come back to Sandy and say, all right, I read these two books and yours, so now I think I wanna talk about kind of where I am. Once you get into that point of introspection, you then are honest about what you can provide. And then once you're honest about what you can provide, you're going to start having things. And I, and, you know, as a as a person of faith, a person of faith, I believe that things that, that manifest are pushed out to you uh, by the Creator. So as you're be renewing your mind, and as you're starting to be more introspective and grateful, and and live your life through gratitude and acknowledgement, you'll start to have more opportunities presented to you. You've done the work on the back end, you will get rewarded on, um, sorry, if you've done the work on the front end, you'll get rewarded on the back end for uh, the investment that you make. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I, I, I think also there's something about a person who practices gratitude and who has self-awareness that just makes it easier to be with them. I mean, they're not walking around with bitterness or expectations that are false or projections and assumptions. And they're taking the time to reflect on their life. They're in that mindset of I'm always growing and I'm always learning and I have humility, but I also believe in myself. I mean, there's just a whole other energy to that person. Yeah, agreed. So my final question for you, Glenn, is what is your best advice for anyone who wants to go on their last first date? I'll be honest about who you are and what you can provide. Uh, by being honest about who you are and what you can provide, you will then start looking and receiving opportunities that are in line with your thoughts and your reality. Good advice. Well, thank you for this conversation, Glenn. If you can share with our audience how to connect with you, how to get your book, your website. Yes, my book, uh, The Middle Brown, is available on Kindle. 
It's available for Kindle Unlimited, Kindle Download, paperback, uh, and then the audio version uh, is available as well. Um, you can also reach out and connect with me through social media. The easiest way to connect with me is to go to my website, www.glensanderfer.com, two N's, S-A-N-D-I-F-E-R.com. Um, and then there you can book what I call middle ground coaching sessions. Um, and then also um, that is where I put my information on about my next speaking engagement, joining our groups that are available on the social media platforms um, specifically, and as well as follow me on my YouTube channel. I have more uh, content and shorts that are available. Uh, some things you're going to love, some things are going to scratch your head, but all in all, it's all coming from the place of helping you reach the middle point. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks everybody for listening today. If you love our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And as always, here's to your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. That's lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. I look forward to talking to you soon.